I invite you to open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. I was reading this week about a pastor down in Atlanta that he got hungry for lunch and he started looking up restaurants in Atlanta and he saw a restaurant named Church of God Grill. And he got to wondering about that church name. He thought it was kind of interesting. So he called in a very cheerful voice. He found out it was the owner, answered the phone and says, uh, Church of God Grill, can I take your order? And the fellow said, well, he said, I was just kind of curious. How did you end up naming your restaurant Church of God Grill? He said, well, he said, we planted a church down here in Atlanta and to help make ends meet, we started selling chicken dinners after church. And it just so happened the chicken took off and it did so well that we closed the church down. And so that's the name of our restaurant is the <laughs> church, of, uh, church of God Grill. And I got to thinking about that. And you know, when we get busy living life, life gets busy, life gets hectic. Uh, just the day-to-day -day activities of everything that we have to do, sometimes it's easy for us to lose focus on our main thing. I don't know if you saw the movie City Slickers or not, but uh, the whole theme of that movie is finding your one thing uh, that it is that's important in life and living that way. And our text that Peter gives us this morning, this paragraph in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 11, give us kind of a jarring wake-up call. And, and we're going to talk about this paragraph this morning. 1 Peter 4, beginning at verse 7. But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all things, have fervent love for one another. For love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it with the ability which God supplies. And in all things, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Our text today with Peter wakes us up with this first statement. He says here, the end of all things is at hand. What would you do if you went to the doctor tomorrow and maybe you had a little pain in your side and maybe you're having a little headache and when you got there the doctor says, well, we've ran these tests and I've got some pretty hard news to tell you. You've only got three weeks to live. You've got three weeks to live the rest of your life. How would that change your life? Would you do anything different? Would you live with more urgency? Would you say, 
Don't worry about anything else. I'm going to Hawaii for three weeks. Would you get some things right with those that you love? Would you tell that person that you've been intending to tell about Jesus? Would you tell them? If you knew you only had three weeks to live, how would you live? And, and that's what Peter does in the first phrase of this text in verse 7. He says, but the end of all things is at hand. He's talking about the second coming of Jesus, isn't it? Jesus is coming back. The end of everything is at hand. Now, I know what you're thinking. And I know the question you've already got in your mind. And it goes something like this. If the return of Jesus is at hand, Peter wrote that 2,000 years ago and Jesus hasn't shown up yet. So how can it be at hand? Can I remind us that God is on a different timetable than humans? This same Peter tells us that a day with God is as a thousand years and a thousand years is as a day. God doesn't keep the same time that we do. But not only that, can I tell you something else that may get your attention? For our time to end it doesn't necessarily have to have Jesus come back. Jesus could call us home. No matter whether Jesus comes or where Jesus calls, we have an end of our life. And can I tell all of us, I don't know for any of us when that end is, but can I tell you that it's closer than you think? Can I tell us that we don't know when our time on this earth is going to be up. But can I also tell you that it's coming. And you're closer now than you've ever been. So with that thought in mind, the title of today's lesson is Living with the End in Mind. Living with the fact that if you knew you had three weeks to live, if you knew Jesus was coming back three weeks from today, how would you live? And I think that Peter gives us five suggestions in our text today. And, and this is a very simple lesson. Uh, our last couple of weeks we've had phrases in the passage that are kind of difficult to interpret. Not so in this passage. This is very simple, very straightforward. You know all this stuff. I know all this stuff, but sometimes we need reminding, and Peter starts that out, and that reminding out with a blockbuster phrase, the end of all things is near. Y'all, the end of our life is coming. So there's some things that we need to do. So here in verse 7, the end of all things is at hand. How do we need to live? How do we live with the end in mind? First of all, we need to learn to be serious and watchful. Be serious and watchful. Now, Peter is not saying that it's wrong to joke around. If you know me and hang around with me very long, I'm going to crack jokes, and, and I like to make people laugh. I like to laugh. But can I tell you that the end of our life is coming? No laughing matter. That's a serious matter. Jesus is coming back. 
And that's a serious matter. We need to be serious. Some versions say sober-minded. We need to be sober. And sober is more than just being not drunk. The word sober means clear-minded. The word sober means serious-minded. Understand what it is that's important. To have clear thinking. To live purposefully. Why do we get up in the morning? When, uh, when you get up tomorrow, why do you get up? Do you get up just to hang out? Do you get up just to go to Hardy's for breakfast? My mom, I, I, sometimes I'll call her about 10.30. I'll say, Mom, what are you doing? She says, it's 10.30. What do you think I'm doing? I'm eating my breakfast with my old lady friends. That's why she gets up. Then she comes home and watches the news. And then she wonders why she worries all the time. Tell her, don't quit watching the news. You, you'll be all right. But why do we live? Do we live with purpose? There are two terrific books uh, out by Rick Warren. He's pastor of Saddleback Valley Church in California. And I don't agree with everything Rick Warren teaches and preaches. But he wrote two pretty good books called Purpose Driven Life and Purpose Driven Church. And what the points he makes in those books are the fact that we ought to live our life on purpose. We need to realize what we're here for. Jesus has made us born again to live for him and to draw others to him and to, to point others to him through our lives. And then Purpose Driven Church is about Having church on purpose. Doing enough to... It, why do we come to church? Do we come to church just to sing and shake hands and catch up on the latest news? To live with the end in mind means to live on purpose. Means, means to think about those things that are important. To think about those things that need doing and then to do them. It means to be watchful. It means to be alert. It means to pay attention. Especially in our thoughts. The things we are thinking about. Y'all, the end is near. It's nearer than we think. We don't have time to waste on Useless thoughts and useless things and useless matters. The end is near. And we need to live like it. It's okay to have fun. But we need to live for the end. Stephen Covey in his book, Seven Habits of Highly Successful People. That was kind of one of the go-to self-help books several years ago. I'm dating myself. But the principles in that book, one of his seven habits was to begin with the end in mind. In other words, when you start a project, you need to already see the end of it before you start it. And so, can I suggest to you tomorrow when you wake up, think about what's the most important thing you can do today as far as kingdom work is concerned. And begin with the end in mind. Be sober, be watchful, be clear thinking. That's number one. Number two, verse eight. 
And above all things, above everything else, Peter says, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. If you only had three weeks left to live, would you spend it fighting? Or would you spend it loving? Peter says, above all else, Above all else, love your brothers. And this is more than caring feelings. This is more than a human love. This is a love that the Spirit gives us. This is agape love. This is the love that shows goodwill and good wishes for everyone. You know that guy that cuts you off in traffic? You're supposed to love him. You know the lady that's in front of you at the checkout counter and her total is $56.27 and she's going to pay cash and she's digging through her purse to find her wallet and she finally finds it, she gets the $57 and then she's trying to find the $57 cents, and they're not in the wallet, they're in the bottom of the purse. And she's got her purse is big enough to put a transmission in. <laughs> and she's digging and you're trying to go and you're thinking, man, you're supposed to love her. I was in line at the Amish store in Buffalo the other day getting my sandwich on the way to Wayne County Prison. And there was an old lady. She, she's bound to be 80-something years old. And it was taking her forever to wait on people up front of us. And there was a guy in front of me. He said, uh, What's an, what is a lady that old doing working? She needs to be home. She needs to be home watching TV or something. They need to get somebody younger in here to wait on people. And I said, You know what? I said, What if that lady... What if that 80-year-old lady is a widow that can't afford to retire because she can't live on her Social Security? And she's here because she can't pay her bills because she has to work? And the guy said, well, thanks a lot for making me feel bad. <laughs> I said, I'm not trying to make you, but don't we need to be patient in love? When you're at McDonald's, and that tattooed kid with a ring in his nose and purple hair and a beanie on his head. You say, what in the world is he doing working? What if he's that troubled child that doesn't want to stay home and work the only place he has to get away? We're supposed to love him. Y'all, if we knew we only had three weeks to live, if we lived with the end in mind, knowing that the end is near, y'all, we would love. And Peter here tells us that love covers a multitude of sin. You know what? It's hard to be mad at someone if you're loving on them. It's hard to hate someone if you're busy loving them. Time's too short to fight, y'all. Time's too short to argue. When we're loving, we're not hating and 
reacting and sinning. When we're loving, we're forgiving. When we're loving, we're more likely to reach out and witness. Jesus reminds us in John 13, 35, he tells his disciples, the world will know that you are mine when you love each other. What are we known for here at Old New Hope? I pray that we're known for our love. We love God, we love Jesus, and we love each other. And I want that to be more than a motto. It needs to be a lifestyle. If we knew the end is near, if we knew Jesus is coming back, we'd love. I said if we knew Jesus was coming back and the end is near, we'd love. That's what we're called to do. But not only that. Get down to verse 9. Not only are we to love, Peter says we are to be hospitable one to another without grumbling. Not only are we to love, we're to be nice to each other. I think Peter understands, or the Holy Spirit that's inspiring people, understands that we humans need a little help with this. So he says, not only are we to love each other, we're to be hospitable to each other. We're to be kind to each other, and we're to do it without grumbling. Well, I'll be nice to that old bat, but I sure won't like it. <laughs> I'll hold the door for that old grumpy old guy, but I sure I won't like it. Be hospitable without grumbling. Why in the world did Peter have to put that phrase without grumbling? Because he knew human nature. The Holy Spirit knows he knows that's what we do. The early church was known for its hospitality. You read the book of Acts, it says not only did they have church services in homes, but they opened each other's homes, and they opened their homes to have meals and to have fellowship. We need to open our homes for each other. Marie and I need to do better at that. As a church, we need to do better at that. There are a lot of churches now that instead of having Sunday evening service, they have what they call community groups, where they will meet in different homes and have finger foods and sing, have a devotional fellowship with one another. I don't know that that's not a bad idea. We are family, y'all. And we need more fellowship with each other than what we get one hour a week on Sunday mornings. Be hospitable. When you see your brothers and sisters in food savers, do you go up and ask how they're doing or do you run around the other way hope they don't see you because you're in a hurry to get to wherever it is you need to go. Be hospitable. Can I suggest that if you knew you only had three weeks to live, if you knew that Jesus was coming back in three weeks, 
We'd love each other, but we'd do more than that. We'd be kind to each other. We'd help each other. We would be hospitable, and we wouldn't gripe about it. Because the end is near, and there are more important things than fussing and fighting and griping. But Peter doesn't stop there. Verse 10. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If we're going to live with the end in mind, first of all, we're going to be serious-minded and sober and watchful. Secondly, we're going to love each other. Third, we're going to be hospitable, and we be hospitable, and we won't grumble about it. But fourth, we're going to use our gifts for each other's benefit. And by gift here, he's talking about spiritual gifts. Did you know that when you were born again, you were given a spiritual gift? And I'm not talking about a natural talent. I'm talking about a spiritual gift. 1 Corinthians, Galatians, there are different lists of spiritual gifts given in the New Testament. God has given each one of those, each of us, one of those gifts. And Peter explains in 1 Corinthians that a gift is like a body part. A church member is like a body part. Your gift is like an arm or a leg or an eye or an ear. And your gift that God has given you is for the use of the whole body. How would our bodies act if our eyes said, you know what, I'm glad to be part of this body, but I'm, going to not, I'm not going to let the rest of the body see. I'll be here and I'll, I'll fill up the holes there in the skull and, and everybody will think, I think you got eyes, but you won't be able to hear or see. What if your ears said, I'm not going to allow the body to hear? What if your legs said, I'm not going to allow the body to walk? What if a person who's been spiritually gifted with teaching? Or preaching says, I'm not going to teach or preach. What about the person that's been spiritually gifted to be a musician and to be in music? Said, well, I'm not going to do music. I, I'm shy. I, I don't want to do it in front of people. I, I'm not going to do that. What if the person that had the ability to organize, I believe that's a spiritual gift. Uh, it has under the idea of ministry and serving. That person, well, I'm not going to use my gifts for the church. I'm going to keep it to myself. Y'all, to the extent you keep your gift to yourself, you are keeping the body of Jesus Christ from being what God intends for her to be. You ever thought about that? God didn't give us a spiritual gift to be selfish and keep it to ourselves. God gave us a spiritual gift to share with the body. And that's what he says here. As each one has received a gift, Minister it. Give it to another. Serve another person. Serve another brother. Serve another sister. Why? As good stewards of the manifold grace of God. God has give, graciously given you a gift. And you need to be a good steward of that grace. And graciously give it to other people. Graciously serve with it. Somebody says, well, I can't sing as good as Elvis sang. Or I can't sing as good as Garth Brooks sings. 
Can I tell you, God didn't call you to sing like Elvis and didn't call you to sing like Garth Brooks, but he's given you the spiritual gift of singing. He's called you to sing. Amen? Y'all ever heard Adrian Rogers preach? And uh, Charles Stanley preach? Now those fellas can preach, buddy. I used to think I wish I could pray preach like Adrian Rogers and Charles Stanley. And I told a preacher friend of that, a preacher friend of mine that one time, he said, Andy, God didn't call you to be Adrian Rogers or Charles Stanley. He called you to be Andy Plank. So I'm going to be the best Andy Plank I can be. God's called you to be the best whatever it is he's gifted you. Whatever it is he's given, you be the best you can be. For the body's benefit. So the body can be healthy. If we knew our time was coming to an end. If we knew we were going to die in three weeks. We'd share our gift. Time's too short. That's what we do. And then finally. Verse 11. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. If we knew that we would die in three weeks, if we knew Jesus was coming back in three weeks, if we knew Jesus was calling us home in three weeks, if we are living, if we're going to live with the end in mind, above all, we would live in such a way that our lives bring glory to Jesus Christ. He says, if you preach, if you speak, if you teach, remember, God's the one that tells you what to say. Don't go off on your own tangent. This is a pretty easy sermon outline to make today. You know why? That we went through five verses and I had five points out of each verse. Because that's the way the text laid out. Sometimes it doesn't lay out that easily. But as a preacher, as a teacher, this is my guide. I'm not allowed to go beyond it. When I go beyond it, I'm getting out on my own and I don't need to do that. Teachers don't need to do it. When they get out there, they get their legs chopped off. We need to stay as the oracles of God. But not only me, he says, if anyone ministers, that's the idea of serving and helping and doing. If you minister, do it with the ability God gives you. Do it for God. Do it so God would get the glory. More than anything else, I want us leaving here today saying, what a great God we serve. What an awesome God we have. What a wonderful Savior we have. We have peace in the valley, not because of our wonderful voices or the great sermon we just heard. We have peace in the valley because Jesus Christ gives it to us. One who lives with the end in mind lives with the whole purpose of glorifying God. 
If you're at Food Saver, this is going to sound silly. But if you're at Food Saver buying your groceries, see if you can't find a way to glorify God while you're buying your groceries. I don't know exactly what glorifying God while you buy chocolate milk. You say, I'm just buying chocolate milk. Could it have something to do with our attitude? Having a smile on our face? And being friendly to people? That person that you're having to pass there to go get to the chocolate milk, it may be they're having a rough day. It may be their doctors told them they've only got three weeks to live. And they're barely holding it together. Maybe we could glorify God by chocolate milk. Amen? <laughs> Maybe we can glorify God at work. Maybe we can glorify God in traffic. We ought to start a movement. Here we, we, here, here's the movement we ought to start. Have you ever pulled up to somebody at a red light and you, they've got the window down and it's like that loud rap music with the bass woofers turned up high and it makes your whole car shake? You know what we ought to do? Here's our movement we ought to do. You know how to glorify God driving in traffic? When you come to that red light, turn it to Way FM, turn it up high, and as loud as that radio will go, let it sing. Let me tell you about my Jesus. Amen? Amen. <laughs> if they can do it with rap, how come we can't do it with Christian music? And, uh, but I always want to tell people when I, their radio's playing so loud, if I wanted to hear what was on your radio, I'd be in the car with you. I've already got the answer. If they were to tell me if I'm playing Christian music, and they say, if I wanted to hear what you had to say, I'd be in the car with you, my answer's going to be, yeah, you'd hear about Jesus in the car, too. <laughs> Whatever we do, glorify God. Live with the end in mind. The reason we are born again is to bring God glory to Jesus Christ and to God the Father. Go back to the beginning. The end of all things is at hand. Jesus is coming back. I don't know when. It may be in five minutes. I don't know if I told you the story. One of the most effective conclusions I've ever heard for a sermon. It was when I, I don't know how I was in school and, and in church, the church I grew up in. The preacher was coming to the conclusion. He says, I don't know when the Lord's coming back, but the Lord can come back in five, four, three, Two, one, and when he got down to one, a big clap of thunder went off and the lights went out. <laughs> I'm 59 years old and I still remember that as, as much as if I were sitting there yesterday. Everybody kind of got shook up and the preacher said, you know what? Said the Lord didn't come back then, but I thought he was and what if he had? My roommate and I in college in Florida, we were in our dorm room, 
And we found out very quickly that Florida College in Temple Terrace, Florida was right in the flight path of Tampa International Airport. And they had those big SS, used to be SST supersonic jets that flew. And those things were loud. And they would fly, it just sounded like they were just right over the roof. And the first time one of those went over our dorm room, it was about 2 o'clock in the morning, it shook pictures off the wall and jumped me and Jeff up out of the bed. I said, goodness gracious, what was that? And Jeff said, I don't know. He said, for a minute I thought the Lord was coming back, and he's coming back to Temple Terrace, Florida. <laughs> Jesus is coming, y'all. I don't know when. It might be today. But even if he doesn't come, Jesus is going to call the end of our life as it hands. Roger, Eddie, Mary, if y'all come on back up. Let them get set. I'm going to get your attention again. What are we going to sing, Roger? 104, Amazing Grace. 104, Amazing Grace. That's a good invitation. If the end of all things is near and we don't know when Jesus is going to come or call, I want to ask you a couple of questions. Number one, are you right with Jesus Christ? Because if the end is near, the most important question you can ask yourself is, are you right with the Lord? Are you right with God? Have you trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And if you've done that, does your life that you're living right now bring glory to Jesus Christ and to God the Father? If you knew you only had three weeks left to live, what would you change about your spiritual life? And can I encourage you that whatever those changes are, you need to make them? subject when you stand and come while we say.